frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Where life had no value, death sometimes had its price. That is why the bounty killers appeared. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday, I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. This is the third in a very special series of episodes where we are going through the filmography of Sergio Leone week by week and film by film. Normally, each week, Brennan and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. But like I said, for the next few episodes, it's all about Leone. Today, we're talking about the second film in what is known as Sergio's Dollars Trilogy, For a Few Dollars More, starring Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef. And we do have a very special guest with us today. If you've listened to any of our back episodes, you'll recognize his dulcet tones. It's the one, the only, Zach. Hello, Zach. How are you, my friend? <laughs> Hello. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> Thank you. Good. I have a bit of a, have a, bit of a rasp going on, but uh, I'm doing well. Thank you. It just makes you sound even better. Yeah, I, I can, I can <laughs> emphasize. <clears throat> and Brandon, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, man. Thankful for Film Church again this week because this is the only film I had a chance to watch. And what a film. It is amazing. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about it in depth later on in the show. But before we get to that, we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. Um, it, it means a lot. We really enjoy doing it and we're glad that people are listening. Um, if you're new to the show and you're enjoying it so far, um, hit that subscribe button um, hit the bell to be notified when a new episode is available. And all our back episodes are streaming um, everywhere that you listen to podcasts. So go ahead and hit that up. Um, this is a film church, so we post episodes on Sundays. And if you really, really do enjoy the show, please share it with your friends. You can find us on all the social media platforms at Film Church Radio, where you can leave us a comment or send a message about the show. We'd also love for you to rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you're streaming from. Now, before we discuss the one film that Brandon watched this week, let's talk about the other films that Zach and I watched this week. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to talk just high level, just kind of go through um, a few of these and pick out some of the favorite ones that we've watched this week. Um, and there might be spoilers, but we'll try and keep it relatively spoiler free. Um, so Zach, any of the, any things that you want to mention that you've watched over the past week? Uh, yes. So I, I'm not much of a television person. I usually yeah. stick to movies, but um uh, there's a new series on uh, HBO Max called Tokyo Vice. And I've oh. literally only watched the pilot. Um, I think there's four episodes, four or five episodes by now. Yeah. Um, but the reason, the reason I watched the pilot is because the pilot, and only the pilot, as far as I know, was directed by Michael Mann. And oh, cool. I am a big Michael Mann fan. And it's been a while since he's made a film. Um, I think the last movie he made was Black Hat with uh, Chris Hemsworth, which was like 2014, 2015, wow. maybe. I can't remember. So he's he's been not doing anything lately. And so I was just excited to see a new Michael Mann directed thing. 
So I watched the first episode of that. Um, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it's very well directed. It's about, uh, it's based on a true story about a, uh, an American journalist who, uh, lives in Japan and gets a job, uh, working for a Japanese newspaper, which is incredibly difficult to do and mm. is almost impossible for him to, 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 as a white American to get on that. Um, but he gets hired and he wants to be a crime reporter. He has some sort of obsession that I assume that the show goes into in later episodes with kind of unraveling the Japanese criminal underworld. And it's based on a, a, a actual journalist's memoir. I think the only reason they brought Michael Mann in is because he did Miami Vice and the title of the book was <laughs> Tokyo Vice. And I think that they were kind of like, hey, you know, direct the pilot and we'll give you an executive producer credit. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know if he's really involved beyond that. But it, it was very nice. It, you know, My, Michael Mann always has these great, like, close-ups of faces and in the background all the lights are very blurred and uh so it was great to just see some new michael mann stuff that's um, great so that's like the favorite the favorite thing i watched i guess yeah me and me and chelsea are always looking for things like tv to watch together um i mean cause... and i would cont- i would i will probably watch the rest of it um i st- i'm a nerd so i studied japanese in uh high school and and in high school i was on the the school newspaper staff so I'm like, oh, this is like teenage yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, anything else? Any films you've been watching, Zach? I, I, I watch a lot of movies. Um, a combination of putting on movies of background noise while I work and then then transferring from my office into the living room and watching uh, usually like one good movie in the evening. Yeah, without, you know, without any distraction. So I actually I watched a movie called The Square, which uh, is a Swedish movie. Um, I think the director's name is Ruben Ostlund, and it came out in 2017. Um, it won the Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival. It's kind of a very bizarre satire of the, the modern art world, and I don't really know anything about the modern art world, but it seems to, it seemed like it was also just kind of commenting on homelessness in sweden and kind of there's like a class divide the main character is a um the director of a museum and they've got they're unveiling this brand new exhibit called the square and he there's these various subplots where he's kind of being that are distracting him from his work and the result is that he he approves without really paying attention of a very controversial youtube ad to um advertise his his art exhibit that gets him in trouble um and it it's a it's a very strange and slow film but um i found it very funny which i think was the point yeah i I think i remember the advertising campaign isn't it like isn't he shirtless at one point on top of a table so the that that's not the main character but one of the one of the there's an artist which who's played by I think his name is Terry Notary, something like that. He, yeah. He he's the second. He's like the main ape villain in the the more recent Planet of the Apes movies. Okay. And I, and I think he did the motion capture for the dog in that Harrison Ford movie, that Jack London <laughs> Harrison Ford movie. Yeah. He specializes in animal, so he plays a character who is a who is a performance artist who performs as an ape 
in wow. these kind of like in this very like high like it's a high class dinner and he comes into the dinner and is interacting with everyone like he's a gorilla or something like that. Um, wow. Yeah. So yes, uh, the I mean there's there's like the, the, there's like a thing where one of the art exhibits is just like piles of rocks and like overnight one of the overnight cleaners accidentally like vacuums up like one of the piles and so they're like okay we're 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 just going to f- get the piles from the the dumpster the the rocks in the bag from the dumpster and we're going to just repile them no yeah. one will notice you know so yeah you know i don't follow the modern art world but i guess some of the characters are like literally based on real artists wow but if if you kind of have those i have that sort of like rube perception of modern art where it's like i don't see what how this is art type of thing and the film kind of plays into okay that. cool i remember it kind of especially set in the critics world alight when it came out was it a few years ago like 2017 2018 yeah. yeah yeah i can remember like a lot of critics saying how great it was and like funny and stuff so yeah that's <clears throat> and cool I, and it, it i think it got the uh, an oscar nomination for oh, cool. international film didn't win yeah yeah, and I don't course. think it's available in physical media in the U.S. Oh wow! But it's streaming yeah. in a couple of places. I so I watched it on the Criterion Channel. I think it's leaving at the end of the month. That's probably why I usually check that section out. Yeah, um, and I, I think it's on Hulu right now as well. Oh, cool! So, nice. Yeah, it's one of those movies that seems to always be streaming. Yeah, somewhere kind of changes hands quite a lot. Yeah. Now, Brandon, I know you watch Moon Knight. Yes. What the heck is going on? <laughs> i don't know still no um, me neither we're like four episodes in and i'm still non like nonplussed yeah. on what on what we're supposed to be it's, waiting for it's only two episodes left right yeah it's only six episodes yeah so yeah. it's like and this last episode was like a total like mind-bending something but yeah. like okay i don't know Mm-hmm. Like everything I thought I had understood about the show is just went out the door. Yeah, so exactly. I don't know where we are, but yeah. it's entertaining. I mean, it's like, I mean, yeah. as far as, um, you know, Oscar Isaac and um, mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke go, like they're amazing and yeah. they're, they're keeping the, the show on its feet. Yeah. So. And I can't wait for the next episode. It's not like, you know, it's kind of, it's that point where I'm like, what is happening? Like, I can't wait to see what's happening next. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. final. Yeah, the, I mean, because the, I mean, this last episode ended on a like a real like. Wait a minute, what? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. I, I just want I I just hope that it it explains some things. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see um, where this character fits in everywhere else. Yeah, I and I'm really liking where the character is. Like, I'm really liking the. Now that now that I get that he's got like these two personalities that are like complete that have lived completely different lives, and even when he becomes Moon Knight, like Moon Knight has its own like a different look, like that's cool. Um, it just kind of I'm I'm like really starting to warm up to the character now, and it's like now it's about to end, so I do I do hope that he's coming back, you know, for other stuff. So this is where the you know the person the part of me that kind of takes in all this news about films and stuff comes in. Cause I'm like, there's no way that Oscar Isaac would sign on for just a six episode deal. Like there must be some 
like three picture deal or you know something to tie him to longer than just a six part series yeah especially with like you know because he didn't really have to do it and like if you look at the other shows that they've done they've all been spin-offs of characters that we already know it's probably like already built into their contract so to sign a big name like that there's got to be some like a plan yeah and i have seen stuff online about like him fitting in with blade and them doing a bit of like a darker side and kind of going that way with it which would be cool i mean that's just speculation but i mean that would be cool on my yeah because it's like you can use these tv shows as like a way to tell an origin story and then have the character just show up and it's like well if you want to know what's really going on with this personality thing you got to watch the show yeah you know they could just skip the whole origin story thing exactly because every marvel film now is like here's the title character but here's three other characters that we've introduced already that are going to play a part yeah yeah so i'm sure that's where they're going to go um but talking of dark superheroes i finally watched the batman yes finally on hbo max right because it's that's right yeah i'm gonna gonna have to watch it again I've been putting it off, but I'm going to get to it. <laughs> Zach, I loved it. I loved it. I I just, I, I just, the whole I, detective side of Batman, yeah. I'm just in. I love it so much. Yeah, the casting, I, I keep, the casting is really good. Yeah. yeah. Like everyone keep, was perfect. I keep seeing like a captioned picture of like Paul Dano doing like a YouTube or something video where he's like, hey guys. Share, like, and subscribe or something like that. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. following me or something. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you could have replaced Batman with a trilby and, like, a trench coat and a cigarette, and it would have just worked just as well. Yeah. You know, there's not, it's, it's so, I don't know. It's just like, I know a lot of people have said it's boring, but I, I don't think I, I wasn't bored. I really enjoyed the story, I thought it was good. You know, I mean, it is a superhero story, so it's not like going to change the world. Um, but I'm excited to see where they're going to go with this character. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, me yeah, too. I, I, yeah. There, in, in, obviously, it, there's a part of me that is sort of like uh, Batman. I, I could, I don't need another Batman movie. But yeah. the thing that draw drew me, or it, you know, attracts me to it is I do like the cast. I like Robert yeah. Pattinson, um, and I liked the. Uh, not to you know bring up films I've already mentioned, but the the Planet of the Apes movies that Matt mm-hmm. Reeves made the last couple yeah. of Planet of the Apes movies, I think those were really great, especially Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So I, I'm he's a director that I'm curious about to to see more of, especially in like the the big blockbuster space. Um, yeah. So I think that's what they do really get well. It. Yeah, it is a blockbuster, but it's dialed down. Yeah, it's not you know. They're still the big flashy bits, but they're kind of, I don't know, they're done really, done really well. The whole thing's done really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I finally knocked one of the classics off my uh, to watch list. I finally watched Thelma and Louise. Oh, yeah. You'd never so, seen yeah. it before? I'd never seen it before. And me wow. and Chelsea were looking for something to watch. And she was like, she'd seen it. And she was like, let's watch Thelma and Louise. So we put it on. And it is so good. I know this yeah. is like 20 years too late. It is mm-hmm. so good. Um, yeah. The only thing now watching it with a perspective from, you know, 2022 is that they still pay a lot of attention to the male characters. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when you watch it, the husband's still a major part. The cop's still a major part. Brad Pitt still plays a major part. Um, and that surprised me a lot. You know, I feel like it should have just been Thelma and Louise with these people cutting in and out. Um, but I guess that was the time. I don't know. Um, but it's so, it's so much fun. And it's funnier than I thought it would be. It's more sentimental than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could not believe that Ridley Scott directed it. I didn't know that. I don't know how that passed me by. Mm. Um, yeah. I just, I had a great time with it. So I'm glad that I finally knocked it off my to watch list. Yeah. yeah I think that was his first uh, Oscar nomination, was for that, I think. Holy smokes. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. When it came up, Ridley Scott I was like, oh, like I'm sure that I had heard it. But I just didn't yeah. associate it with him, you know. I thought, yeah. right, right, right. You know, Alien, Blade Runner, you know. So, um, but yeah, I just, I mean, maybe I should watch more of these so-called classics. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a lot of great ones in the '90s. I did rewatch yeah. uh, the Crying Game this week. I don't oh, know yeah. if you guys have seen that. It's written and directed by Neil it. Jordan. It's from the year after Thelma. Um, 1992 and that's a a pretty good one and I don't want to get into it for spoiler reasons because that was one of those movies that the the when it was a sort of a sleeper hit the the ad campaign was don't talk about it just just tell people to see yeah you know um so I I revisited that film uh this uh this week and uh it's one of my favorites, probably. It's, it's it's pretty good. It deals with the IRA, um, but it's not really about that. It's it's a character drama, really. Nice. Yeah. Cool. And Jim Broadbent a... pops up in it, and I love him in anything. He's a supporting <laughs> role, but yeah. I love him in anything. Yeah. I'm going to have to add it to my list. That sounds good. I do Currently like 90s films HBO. a lot. Yeah, I feel like watching. I mean, because I was born in 1990, I feel like watching 90s films just like informs, like gives me more perspective on, you know, the time I grew up that I didn't have before. Yeah, 90 the 90s is especially a very good decade for independent film in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You can basically pull up anything. Miramax distributed uh, in the U.S. in the '90s, and it'll it'll probably be worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. There's so I mean, there's so much out there. You know, I, I normally focus on the on the older '40s and '50s, but this mm-hmm. year has been a discovery of um at modern day, you know, '70s up to today kind of classics yeah. that I've been watching a lot of. So. Yeah, movies that are technically old films now, but you yeah, still don't think of them as yeah. old. <laughs> I just can't do it. I just can't do it. You know, I still see. You know, I watch What's Up Doc with Barbara Streisand. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is a newer film, and it was like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the late '60s, early '70s. So, oh, yeah, God. I mean, I think about like, I mean, we're we're watching these, you know, the Dollars trilogy, and you know, all the Sergio Leone movies that came out in the '60s, and I think about my parents because they were born in the 60s. Yeah. And and it's like, to me, I don't know. I just put that into perspective. I'm like, that's their 90s, you know, because it's, you know, the decade they grew up in. And it's even more outstanding that for two generations of your family now, Brandon, Clint Eastwood has been a bona fide star. Right? Yeah. 
and he's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is kind of crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, let's move on to talk about for a few dollars more, the second in Leone's um, Dollars trilogy, um, released in 1965, but released in the US 1967, the same year as um, A Fistful of Dollars, and I believe Good, Bad, and the Ugly, right? Because it was Good, Bad, and the Ugly that kind of spurned the resurgence of these two films. Yeah. Um, Once again, starring Clint Eastwood, Mm -hmm. but this time introducing Lee Van Cleef as Douglas Mortimer. um, And the IMDb summary is two bounty hunters with the same intentions team up to track down an escaped Mexican outlaw. So... (laughs) <laughs> let's talk about it because as you know and if you listen to the last episode i wasn't so hot on for a fistful of dollars i had watched yojimbo um before and it just didn't work for me in the same way that yojimbo did um yeah. so going in for a few dollars more i wouldn't say my expectations were low because i know this tr- this trilogy is so highly thought of and a lot of people love it um but i was like okay let's do it I had a blast. This film is awesome. Sweet. <laughs> I loved it from start to finish. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And and I think I know the reason why. I think it's Lee Van Cleef. I yeah. think he's just, <laughs> yeah. he is just wonderful in every part of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, you know, I was like when the when the movie starts now, this is the only one of the Dollars trilogy that I hadn't seen before this podcast right and yeah. lewis hadn't seen any of the sergio leone films and zach you you've seen this uh you i know you've seen this film before right yeah the only yeah. T- the only ones that i had not seen and i still haven't seen i have not seen the colossus of Rhodes. okay and i have not seen once upon a time in america so okay. book ending i have not seen his first cool. film i haven't seen his last one gotcha i've seen everything in between yeah, so going into this film for me was uh, well, Lee Van Cleef is in um, the Good and the Bad and the Ugly, um, yes, so I, I knew him from wait. that. But you know, when this film started, I was thinking a lot about you know how you would follow up a fistful of dollars, and um, really, I mean, there's there's two intro scenes. There's the intro scene with Lee Van Cleef, and then there's the intro scene with Clint Eastwood. Um. But it makes total sense because it, it like if you introduced Clint Eastwood first, you know, you reintroduced him again as the man with no name, then people might not be as interested in Lee Van Cleef if you did his scene second. Yeah. So it makes sense yeah. to do his scene first. Like the, the the character development, the way this story unfolds was just so clever. And yeah. so mm-hmm. I mean just brilliant filmmaking. And all these characters, like you, you see a lot of characters return. Well, not a lot of characters, but a lot of actors return. Just, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, and everyone that does return, it's like everything was just dialed up to just. Yeah. It, it, it was. It, this movie was made for six hundred thousand dollars. The first one was made for two hundred thousand, which isn't that big of a difference, you know, when you're talking Ooh, about it how. Looks how it, it does look it, yeah, because because it's so much. It, like the scale is so much bigger, but they really took advantage of that that money. But it it wasn't the, even that they took advantage of the money because I don't think the money necessarily 
Um, I mean, obviously it helped, but they, they, everyone dialed up their own creativity and their own performances and everything about the characters and everything was dialed up in a way that, that just, um, made it so much more good and made it, um, just made those, those parts of Sergio Leone that you could, you saw hints of in the first one. And then in this one, you're like, Oh, there he is. Yeah. I feel the- like we talked about on Colossus of Rhodes, how you could tell that it was like a filmmaker trying to break out. Yeah. And I think that when I watched a fistful of dollars, I was disappointed because I didn't really see any of those touches. I thought it was, you know, it was kind of a very small scale. It felt like a small crew. You could tell it was made on a budget. Whereas this, you can tell he's flexing his, like he's, he's made the film that has done well enough for him to make another. And this is him being like, here we go. This is what I'm about. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's what I love. I love the Vista scenes. I love the, like the widescreen shots of the valleys, them riding everywhere. They were just beautiful. The town felt so much more real than it did. In um, a fistful of dollars, it felt like lived in the tavern, like the the jailhouse. Everything looked real, you know, and kind of of a time. Um, the production design was incredible on this film. Yeah, like everything looked lived in. Everything looked like it belonged in the West in the like late eighteen hundreds. It was fantastic. Yeah. So Zach, um, you had seen this film before. What was your experience the first time watching it and then also re-watching it for this episode i gotta tell you i don't remember what my first experience was <laughs> no worries I, I i picked this film up when i was in high school i think and i can show you guys obviously the listeners can't see but they put out a, these dvds of um the dollars trilogy and uh duck you sucker um, mm. and i think it yeah. was the first time that the Good, the bad, and the ugly. The extended version, the re, like the the most widely available available version now, it, it reincorporates some scenes that had been in, I guess, the Italian version that got cut from the American version. Um, oh, cool. And when you watch that next week, you'll notice you'll know wh- where they are because uh, uh, the guy who uh, who's the guy the the old guy who plays well, he's not old he's the guy who plays the Tuco in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, so not Clint Eastwood, not Lee Van Cleef, Eli Wallach, he had not recorded his English dialogue for those scenes back in 1966. So he, you, you can you can hear that he's an old man in when in oh, his really? dub because they they remastered the film and reincorporated these scenes from the Italian version. So I think that was the first time that those were, those were available. So it was like all these movies. So I think I, I must have asked for them for Christmas or a birthday or something like that. Maybe split up that, you know, two for Christmas. I don't remember. But I think I just watched all of them in like one kind of marathon or, or you know, over the course of a weekend or something like that. Yeah. And I would c- continuously rewatch. I, I think a few do- for a few dollars more is probably one of the ones that I rewatched the most when I was a teenager. And sometimes I would just kind of put it on. and um, so, But I don't really remember what my first impression of it was. But it, it's probably... It's, I think it's actually my favorite of the Dollars trilogy. Not my favorite Leone film, but it's probably my favorite of the Dollars trilogy. Um, uh, for a few dollars more is? Yes. Okay. Um, and so revisiting it uh, this week, 
um, was great because it was just a lot of stuff that I had forgotten. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had totally forgotten about a lot of the humor that was, (laughs) that was in the movie. Um, except for the one joke that I always remember because it's probably my favorite moment in any Leone film is the guy with the half shaved face. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That, that's, that, that is my favorite shot scene, anything in, in anything Leone. But, um, but just as the film starts, the, the way that everyone responds to Lee Van Cleef on the train and then the his exit from the train is just hilarious to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's emer- done the emergency stop and he opens up the thing and he's got his horse with him. Like the, the only thing that would have made it funnier <laughs> if he was actually on the horse. But uh, and, you know, he says, you know, uh, the train, the 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 the, uh, the train line could make arrangements with you to get to to make to get you off the train where you want to go. He's like. Well, I'm off the train now. Like, yeah. You know, there's so much. I, I think I had forgotten how funny this movie was, and yeah. I might not have recognized that even when I was a teenager. I was, yeah, you know, probably just thinking it was cool. And this time around, I'm rewatching it, and I'm like, there's a lot of funny moments in this movie that yeah. I kind of just probably went over my head, or I didn't think of them as funny when I was younger. Yeah, it's like the that scene with the guy with the half shaved face. Like that guy is in the movie for like two minutes, maybe. Yeah, tops. You know, yeah. and it's like, okay, how can we make this the best it can be? Like, how how do yeah. you take a how do you take a very simple scene where three guys come in to um to stop Clint Eastwood and make it the best possible scene you've ever yeah. seen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked about it on the last episode, just the fact that it feels so real compared to like Westerns of like John Ford, where everyone looks really well showered and kind of like put together and everyone here, you can tell that they stink. And that is just Mm -hmm. like the extra level of being Mm -hmm. like, if someone like, regardless of what you're doing, you know, we've seen it before where people are like, I haven't got time for a shave and they show up and they're clean shaven. Mm -hmm. Like what were you saying? Well, this is like, I haven't got time for a shave. So I'm half shaven, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's just taking it up one step further. Um, and the shot of when he shoots all three of them from like the hip, mm-hmm. I was like, here we go. This is a different level. I could tell by that point, you know, Lee Van Cleef had been introduced. He was wonderful. That whole scene worked really well. And then Clint coming in again and like the card game bit was fine, but then him shooting all three of them in that shot, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. this isn't, this is good. This is and then shooting the last guy as he's crawling on the floor yeah. reaching for yeah. his gun. Yeah. But he also gets one round off in the <laughs> in the <laughs> air. But also right before that, the whole scene where he's like punching the guy with one hand oh. and he's got the oh, other yeah. hand next to his side. It's like doing the whole karate. Time. Yeah. It's like yeah. karate chopping him. Yeah. It's I, like I also the... love how smoky that scene is. You were talking about like the production design and how dirty the everyone yeah. feels compared to you know, uh, your perhaps your stereotypical Hollywood Western, your saloon. It's everything's made of wood, but nothing looks really dirty. And that room is just full of smoke. Like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the I, yeah, it's it's great. And um, and the, the people that he found to be in this film a very interesting looking like every character I feel is memorable by their face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Like there's no one that just kind of blends into the background. You know, he mm-hmm. goes to the hotel, Clint does, and both the hotel manager and his wife are both like, like mm-hmm. they're a face you feel you've seen before, but you can't uh-huh. place them because they're so different. You know, yeah. Um, all of his outlaws. I mean, one of my notes is Chico is back, but he's not yeah. called Chico. He's called mm-hmm. Nino, and Nino is good. Oh no, wait. No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so who was that in this movie? (laughs) So Nino was the stereotypical bandit. He's the the bigger guy that's got the big sombrero and he's got the two kind of, um, I don't know what they're called, the ammo. Yeah, the the Chewbacca gun belt thing. Yeah. (laughs) So he's pretty much wearing the exact same costume as he wore as his role in Chico in um, As Fistful of Dollars here, but he's called Nino. Um, and I liked him a lot. I was so glad he was back. He got killed pretty quickly. Um, but (laughs) as soon as he came in properly, he was stabbed in the back. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, I was glad that he was back. And the fact that normally I was thinking about this normally when this is inconsistencies, like the fact that this is a trilogy quote unquote, and it's the same actor's playing different roles would really annoy me. I'd be like, where's the consistency? You know? Yeah. Um, but it just works. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's because um, it just feels like a different kind of film. You know, it feels like, well, like, that's a really good idea, but now we can elevate it a bit more. I'm not sure, but yeah, everyone that came I, back just did a, a really good job. It never felt distracting to me. Yeah, it felt like, um, it felt like, a fistful of dollars was more of like an a low budget indie film that someone made with their friends and then it got into a film festival and sold or something and then this yeah. one is like a hollywood movie yeah i mean i can i can pretty much imagine that he was like yeah this kurosawa film's doing really good give me some money i'm going to translate it you know to in an audience to a european audience and then it made money and he was like i'm going to do what i want now, did you yeah. guys? Yeah. I did. I did listen to your episode. I can't. You guys didn't mention the lawsuit against him, right? Well, yeah, no, we didn't, didn't. and I didn't okay. realize it until I was doing research about this movie. Yeah, okay. there was a, uh, um, yeah, the the between Toho. the producers, right? Of the Toho, the studio that produced Yojimbo, sued Leone. Oh, that's the lawsuit you're talking about. Well, there's another. There was another dispute oh. between the producers of A Fistful of Dollars and Sergio Leone. Okay. Um, they wouldn't like Sergio Leone was supposed to make thirty percent of the profits, and they wouldn't give him the money. They were like, "We won't uh, give you the money unless you you do a sequel." And apparently, Sergio Leone had signed like a really bad contract where he was supposed <laughs> to do like. 10 films for these guys oh god and after a fistful of dollars he did not fulfill that no he didn't no he was like yeah no he was like i'm not working with y'all again and um the studio behind sorry you continue no no go ahead go ahead well the studio that made yojimbo toho sued sergio leone for plagiarism yeah uh, for ripping ripping off yojimbo and i because it's pretty blatant Yes, yeah. and uh, so I guess it was ended in a settlement, which is sort of like uh, an admission of guilt and don't take yeah. me to court type of thing, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah, Clint. I mean, uh, Sergio Leone. Uh, he basically he he didn't really want to do another western. Like that wasn't really his plan. 
Um, he was trying to figure out what to do next, but um, because a fistful of dollars had become so popular and was making a lot of money, uh, for a few dollars more is kind of technically it's it's made by like it's a new producer made by a different studio, mm-hmm. and he named it for a few dollars more out of spite. <laughs> Just oh, to really? piss off those two producers <laughs> that ripped him off. Well, yeah, um, I, I the I did listen to the commentary track on the of the DVD, which yeah. is Christopher Frayling. Did either of you guys get a chance to? to listen I didn't to get it? a chance to no, okay. but he wrote he wrote the biography, right? Yeah. Um. So it it's there's there's it did leave me like sort of wanting more, like it was maybe not as informative as I'd hoped. Um, but he does mention like the original title was, of the story was, uh, the bounty killers. That's what they were going to call the movie. So presumably that was before this lawsuit and the development of the spite, it kind of comes in where they change it to a, for a few dollars more. Right. Well, apparently so the character that Clint Eastwood plays in the movie, they call him Monko in the movie. Um, and it's officially not the same character as right. Joe in A Fistful of Dollars, right. which was the finding of an Italian court that <laughs> um, basically stated, basically the, the producers at Jolly Films were trying to get the rights to the character, and mm. the but the court found that the character or the gunfighter's persona characterized by the costume, the mannerisms uh, of Joe belong to the public domain's folklore, was what the court decided. That's pretty neat. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and he so has a different name in the next movie, too. Right. Yeah. But also, so Monko uh, isn't necessarily a proper name either, either because it's Monko is this in Spanish means one armed Mm -hmm. and in a fistful of dollars, he gets his right hand wounded. Oh, so it's like, he gets this nickname. Monko is like kind of, I did try to watch fistful of dollars. Uh, I didn't get a chance to, I wanted to, cause I haven't seen that. I haven't seen any of these movies in a long time. So yeah, Yeah. but I, I only got a chance to watch a few dollars more. You probably made the right choice. If you had to pick, if I had to pick one of the two, I would definitely go for this. I mean, yeah. I, my memory of Fistful of Dollars is I liked it, but it's yeah. um, my least favorite of this trilogy. Um, and I guess I mean of the Leone films I've seen, which is all the westerns. I guess I've seen all the westerns. It's my least favorite of the westerns. Yeah, um, which is not to say that I think it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it sounds like I'm ragging on it. I I did think there was some like there was good things in there. Um yeah. but this is where like this is the difference between for me a film director and an author. Like this is yeah, where you yeah. can see him starting to become like you know rene- like someone that some other people would look up to and be like wow, that's really great. I mean yeah, like we've mentioned it before, but the split diopters back, baby, in a yeah. big way. It's all the yeah. way through this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I was thinking that. Palmer film. As soon as soon as I saw that those shots with the split diopters, I was like, "There they are!" Like, because yeah. I had that wasn't really like a film concept that I, you know, had. That's usually on my mind until we even started this podcast, and I think we talked about that and um, 
the De Palma film, right? What was yeah. it? Body Double. Body Double. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, but yeah, as soon, as soon as they came up, I was like, there they are. Yeah. But yeah, what did you think of like like the shots where um they're looking at the the bounty poster and it's like cutting back and forth between Lee Van Cleef and the and the wanted poster and it just like cut back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like Dude, I mean 60s. every yeah, everything in this film I was on board for. When I yeah. did that, I was like, cool, I'm here for it. Like these two people want to find this guy. Um but I mean what really for me like elevated it was the story was so more interesting than what I was pre- prepared for. You know, it sets up yeah. and it's like it's gonna be a typical bounty hunter they're going to go after these people try and get them you know whatever but i did not see that they were going to be the ones that instigated and kind of let them get away with this kind of stuff just so they could get a higher bounty yeah like that was really interesting the fact that they broke someone out of jail and like went along to rob the other bank so that they could you know get them all together and be the only ones in town that would get them and then it would go wrong i was yeah. like yep this is great yeah because like, they're basically so like than i thought they're almost like undercover cops at that point. Yeah. <laughs> like I was thinking that. I was like, no wonder Clint Eastwood just went from this to like. Um, dirty Harry. Yeah, Dirty Harry. Yeah. Well, and the, the revelation at the end uh, of. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Lee Van Cleef character's connection to the central villain of the film, Indio, is it's one of those things that the film is obviously if you rewatch it, you're probably going to pick up on little things uh, yeah. that, will, yeah. that will, would lead you to that conclusion. But um, I, I often think of like, uh, for me, like the, the actual sort of plot or story of a film doesn't really matter as much as the way that it's told. And so you can tell a simple story, but if you like, like good storytelling is just sort of like, when you decide to dole out a particular piece of information to the audience, to the reader. And so this is a film where I'm always impressed with like just every moment to moment. I'm impressed with, with how, how Leone doles out that information to us, the audience um, that keeps you going. And, and it surprises you you know, sort of like every 10 minutes, there's sort of like, you know, yeah. you're you're not really sure where this is going. And um, all the way till the end, there's there's stuff that's been building up that you didn't even realize was building up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, especially with Star Wars, my biggest critique is that everyone is related and it drives mm-hmm. me nuts. I hate it. <laughs> but with but with this, you know, the revelation that you were talking about, it's it's earned and it's not yeah. just earned it's like oh you know it's kind of it added it adds gravitas to it it's it's mm-hmm. something that kind of really makes that showdown on reflection even more impressive you know because yeah it, they could have so easily been like oh yeah my my sister killed herself after he broke in and you know yeah. did the things what? he did but instead it's like it's after and it's not even explicit Right. It's just like there's a family resemblance and you're like, oh my God, you know, it's the, it's obviously like a relation, you know? Um, and that was really impressive. That kind yeah. of just well, the choice that even, he made there. Even the showdown in general, like it, even bringing back the music box, like the, the showdown in the, 
in the first part of the movie that he has with the guy that like put him in jail and he uses the music box and he's like, when the music stops, then pick yeah. up your gun or whatever. Yeah. Like that scene was so good just by itself. He didn't even have to, like by the time the end scene comes where he brings it back, it was like, oh, this is, yeah. they, they just made this really good. Um, whereas like, you know, that scene worked on its own without bringing it back, but it, it really yeah. made the end work really well. Because I did feel like my one critique was like there was, you know, towards the last part of the movie, um, with the exception of like maybe the last 15 or 10 minutes, uh, was starting to feel like it was dragging on a bit. Um, And then when that scene comes, it's like you're just like right back up in your seat. Yeah. Because I was a bit worried before that. I was like, are we really saying that the reason that the Indian or India or whatever his name. Um, it like the reason he is it the way he is, is because a woman killed herself while he was raping her. I was really worried that that was going to be like his origin story, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So when they made it kind of tie back into the heroes, I was like, Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't, you know, yeah. I really didn't need that as part of his backstory. I didn't yeah. need to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm yeah, glad that it related to somebody like, else. Yeah. Yeah. I was worried that that's where they were going. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then that whole end scene. Now I know you, you like Lewis hasn't seen the good and the bad and the ugly yet, mm-hmm. but there's so much foreshadowing <laughs> going yeah. on in this movie for what's coming <laughs> in the next one. And I haven't watched the good and the bad and the ugly in I don't know how long. Yeah. Um, but the things that I do remember about it, like I I see so many hints coming. So I'm really excited to watch the next one to see if. Because when I saw The Good and Mad, The Ugly for the first time, I was like, this is like the greatest movie I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was so good. Um, so so now watching them in order and seeing how we're building to it, I'm, I'm wondering how impressed I'll be. I'm sure I'll still be very impressed, but it'll be interesting to rewatch it. Yeah, the, I'm excited uh, to watch it. The, uh, the, the sort of uh, in the commentary, uh, Christopher Fraling kind of describes it as like it's a coliseum. Right, that sort of circle um, uh, that they're in, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. that does come back uh, in the good and the bad and the ugly. And I think one of these sets too is it's been a lot while since I've seen Fistful of Dollars. And I know one of the towns is a refitting of the the set um, of the town in Fistful of Dollars. I want to say maybe <clears throat> the. Um, the town in the opening scene with, uh, or not the opening scene, but Lee Van Cleef, the, the town where he catches his bounty in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. I want to say that that town is a refitting of the, the set that they used in um, Fistful of Dollars. But some of the, some of the places like the, the, uh, the, the town that they go into where um, they shoot down the, the apples from the tree. Yeah. That's not a set. That's just a town in Spain. And okay. that's like what it looks like still. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, I wrote it down somewhere. There is a town that they did build that is still there. Yeah. A lot, a, um, a lot of the towns are sets. Right. But there is, um, so the town of El Paso mm-hmm. was designed by Carlos Simi. Um, in Almeria, Spain, and it was yeah. the biggest set for which 
Sergio Leone was responsible for at the time. It was reused for several scenes in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, mm-hmm. in which stood as several different towns. And it's still standing to this day, and it's called Mini Hollywood. It's like a theme park now. <laughs> okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so that is there, which is cool. But that's that's, awesome. that's El Paso, where they like steal the yeah they rob yeah. the bank and steal the the safe. I know that, like I said last week, we talked about the similarities between um, for a fistful of dollars and your Jimbo for this, especially with that standoff scene at the end. It reminded me a lot of Sanjiro. And the way that that ends, okay. um, kind of the sequel, there's that there's like a big tense standoff where they're yeah. both just waiting to strike. You know, it's kind of like face to face. And like again, I didn't it didn't before. You know, with the other one, I thought that it might have ruined it a bit, but I like the way that this was done a lot. Like you said, with yeah. the pocket watch, and with it kind of like trickling down and you're never quite sure if it's finished or if it's got like another note to play and kind of clint just standing there waiting yeah (laughs) in essence you know he's kind of you can it's i mean yeah Uh, lee van cleef steals the show though oh absolutely i mean i could watch another like a trilogy of his character going to the next bounty yeah, his uh, career was kind of revitalized with yeah. this movie yeah. because yeah. before this, he was like kind of down on his luck and he was like drinking a lot and stuff. And then when he was, he didn't even know that he was like a main character in this movie when he got cast. And then when he like, he was like already cast and then was like reading the script and was like, oh, I'm like the the main co-lead, yes. <laughs> like co-character. Right. Yeah. A co-lead, um, basically. Yeah, his, yeah I mean, exactly. he was a, he was a, I think, uh, in the commentary, he describes uh, Lee Van Cleef's career as like playing like the second villain from the left, typically mm-hmm. in like a Western, yeah. you know, he's in High Noon, the first, uh, yeah. I think that was his first role, you know, and um, his face is what you were talking about, the the memorability of, of all of these uh, faces in this movie. Um, his face is basically something that Leone always remembered. So it's kind of one of those weird things where it's like um, somebody does not know that they are like this star to somebody out there. Yeah, exactly. They're like when they watch themselves. I love when he pops up in a movie, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, back before this happened, before this film. That's how Leone treated him. I feel like the Coen brothers are kind of similar to that. They've got a lot of people that show up. Yeah, exactly. That you're like, oh yeah, I love that guy. You know, I'm glad he's in this. You know, and it's yeah. because of you know how he looks. Um, but yeah, I mean, Eastwood himself said that like Leone was great with faces. That he cast yeah. people to look a little bit different. Um, and this film is full of them. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So it only gets better from here on out with the faces. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait. And I I know that he wanted Henry Fonda again. I mean, yes. this is the second time trying to get Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm. More um, foreshadowing. Yeah, for the Van Cleef role. Um and I'm so glad that Fonda didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, he wanted uh, Henry Fonda well, and wait, Charles Bronson. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to get ahead of myself because Charles Bronson and Henry Fonda are both in Once Upon a Time in the West. Hands down, my favorite. So, okay, cool. Uh, Good to know. I don't yeah. want to hype it up for you guys, but I'd be curious if you <laughs> yeah. feel similarly or maybe you disagree. I don't know. 
Um, I have seen but, it, but I'll let you know what I think. Okay, on yeah. The rewatch on, on the episode. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and uh, I it's kind of so like uh, something that I know about that movie is that like there uh, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. There were they the the when Leone and his co-writers wrote that film, there was like basically like a pal, like a a spending a weekend sitting and watching old westerns and writing down stuff. That like, oh, okay, we could use that. We could use that. All these little mm. details from other, from Hollywood Westerns that they loved. And that is apparently something that this movie is also full of. And it, I mean, it kind of like, I, I guess, ties into Leone stealing the basic plot of Yojimbo, where a lot of, uh, he was um, like his, he influenced Quentin Tarantino, who does this all the time, that Leone was stealing little things little bits and pieces to make every movie and and yeah. this movie is apparently a lot of the details about lee van cleef's character the uh the pipe and the way he dresses um and even the the uh, the watch uh with the with the lullaby or whatever it is these are like little bits and pieces from movies that lee van cleef westerns that lee van cleef was in previously mm. so he is constantly referencing his favorite films which aren't necessarily it's not the searchers you know it's not yeah. like the essential westerns as far as i can tell um but this film is full of references to hollywood westerns from <clears throat> the the plots to the subplots to character details and all of that sort of thing and he, he goes on to do that in all of his westerns really yeah yeah wow that's so great. I just love the yeah, I love a director that can reference movies. I feel like as film buffs, it kind of just it elevates mm-hmm. the film for like especially for me. If I can see a reference there to something that's come before. As I was mentioning yeah. with the you know, there isn't a direct pull, you know, I'm not we're not gonna talk about the remake of Psycho here, but if they're gonna <laughs> Like if they're gonna do something, I like that they that they do it differently, and I think that's what worked with this film. Is like it's something that I feel like I've seen before, but mm-hmm. it's elevated. It's not what I've seen before. Yeah. It's it's something completely different, especially with the way that it's shot, with the characters that are introduced, um, the plot points that kind of drive the story forward, um, the ending as well. I mean, I could have given you like fifty books instead that they would have split the the money half and half. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we find out, it's not about the money. Um, right. It's, you know, and yeah, it just, it, every level for me, it just worked really well. Um, and I'm excited again about this journey because I felt like I was a bit bummed after the last one. You know, yeah. I'd heard so much about the Dollars Trilogy and I was like, if this is, you know, if this is my reaction to the first, I'm worried about the next two. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's great. Yeah, I'm well, excited I, to see see your thoughts on the rest of it too. Yeah, I really yeah. like this one. It's probably best to not actually think of them as a trilogy. I, I think that's it, what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I, which I think was sort of something that, even though this film was a quote unquote sequel, it was made because Fistful of Dollars was such a huge hit. Yeah. Um, yeah. The. The movies are not really telling any sort of cohesive story. No, across the three yeah, of them. Yeah, the, they're a trilogy because Clint Eastwood plays a character who is dressed the same and behaves yeah. the same 
throughout all three of them. And that's kind of it, you know? Cool. Um, well, speaking of which, there are fan theories oh, yeah. that uh, A Fistful of Dollars and For a Few Dollars More are actually sequels to yes. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yes. Um, for a few different reasons. Both uh, Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More are post-Civil War, mm-hmm. while The Good, Bad, and The Ugly play- takes place during the Civil War. Yes. And Clint Eastwood's costume is fully established and doesn't vary in the prequels. And um, he talks about retiring like in this movie and he gets all the money at the end of this movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like him riding off into the sunset here is kind of where you'd like to leave him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think in the good, the bad and the ugly, he does not start off in the familiar costume and he, like he gets the pon, he gets the poncho at some point. I th- that's like the only piece of the costume that I remember him getting, but yeah. he does not have the poncho at the start of that film, and he gets it by the end of the film. So that film is sort of like you see him collecting the the pieces of his costume that lead up to the cl- the the iconic look. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it is very explicitly set during the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of looked it up in preparation for next week, and the first line on the summary is, "In the Civil War." <laughs> so, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's very obvious. Yeah. Um I feel, especially, I feel with this film that the the villains are more established. I feel like there's a there's a definite good side and a definite bad side, and the bad side aren't bumbling idiots i mean the way that they steal the safe is so efficient it's so quick it's like blinking you'll miss it um i did enjoy when they shot the the case into the safe open and mm-hmm. it was just them just firing randomly and it cut and there was like a perfect bullet like <laughs> strip around the whole thing and it just fell into i thought that was really funny i'm not sure if it was meant to be funny um, i'm sure it I was found it, I, yeah, I mean i think it was a lot very, of humor I think if you it, laughed at something in this movie, it was intentional. It was supposed to be. It was very Blazing Saddles yeah. to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. You know, just like shooting off everywhere and it kind of landing exactly where they needed it to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, the villains are scary. Like they're, they're these big guys that are like, we need as much money as possible. There's a real chance that you're going to die. Like doing it, you know, um, where I didn't really feel that as much. And I think maybe because it's there's like two heroes in this, you know, mm-hmm. I was kind of half expecting the Lee Van Cleef character to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Towards the end, just cause I know it like Clint's in the next one. If it yeah. was like a proper trilogy, whatever. Um, but yeah, the stakes always felt dialed up. You know, I always worried about the characters, which I didn't in the last one. Can we talk yeah. about Klaus Kinski? He plays the hunchback. Yes. He's we uh, have, yeah. He's like one of, uh, I love, I mean, I've only seen his work with Werner Herzog, uh, okay. Nosferatu and Fitzcarraldo and uh, Aguirre Wrath of God, which are all after this. I mean, I don't know how much of a star he was in Germany. He's a German actor. I don't yeah. know how much of a star in Germany he was at the time that this movie was made. He speaks, I know that, I I, I know that he knows English, but he does not do his own dubbing in this <laughs> Because okay, he, he that is not what Klaus he sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I could have sworn that he was the the toy. Is it toy maker from Blade Runner? 
I can't think of his name. No. I could have. I, I looked it up and stuff. Um, is it Sebastian? I think in Blade Runner. Sebastian um, is. Uh, I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Sebastian, but but he's a guy who talks like this. But um, I just like there's a few shots, especially in the bar where they strike like the uh-huh. match on his shoulder and stuff. I was like, is it him? Like he's it's he not looks him. Similar, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, and Klaus Kinski has a famous daughter too, Natasha Kinski. So. Um, but yeah, like, uh, uh, like I remember, I, I guess I had read that he was in this before. I, that's, a, uh, that's something I do remember when I was a teenager, because I don't think I'd ever seen any of the movies he, w- th- that he was in, but I remember reading that he was in it and I knew the name yeah. as being like, he was Werner Herzog's like main guy. And so I was like, oh, mm, so he's yeah. probably like the main villain and he's in two scenes basically. Where one where he gets yeah. a match where he has a little standoff and then one scene where he has a, a final standoff. Um, but uh, again, such a great use of an actor with a. Am I allowed to curse on your show? Yeah, of Klaus, course. Klaus Kinski has a fucked up face. Like he looks fucking <laughs> like he looks fucking weird. Like he, he played Nosferatu in the 70s remake of Nosferatu. And I, I'm like, I don't actually think there's like makeup on his face. Like he, <laughs> he's just got a bald head and pointy ears, but like the face, I'm pretty sure is just his actual face. And, well, we just uh, watched Nosferatu, like the original, mm-hmm. like a couple months ago. So now I'm like, okay, I've got to see this. Yeah, you got to yeah. watch the '70s one. That's uh, that's actually very good. But um, <clears throat> like having him as a hunchback too, and 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 just this whole sort of back and forth with him and Lee Van Cleef. And that's the reason that Lee Van Cleef can't be the guy on the inside is because he's already had this, you know, this confrontation with the guy who should have killed him, I guess. His whole scene where his face is twitching every time. He's Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to kill you. The, the one, (laughs) the one scene that I was like, what is happening here was where he went to see the old man that refused to leave his home. (laughs) Because of the train. Okay, yeah, wasn't he, that the coffin maker from the first one? Was that not I him? Think so. I think okay. it was. But he had so many like glass instruments precariously <laughs> placed around <laughs> his house. As soon as that train came and it started, to, I was like, uh-huh. "Don't collect glass bottles, man!" Like, <laughs> but, collect but again, bears, collect another example soft. of the great humor in this film, where yeah. Yeah. he's going on this diatribe about how they're trying to buy my land and. What do you think yeah. I told them? And then a train comes, and we hear and it, it and we feel ridiculous. it, and we see it. <laughs> yeah. it, it the, the I feel like timing of that is just so great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I feel like too is like that scene only works because Sergio Leone knew that Clint Eastwood would look so weird trying to have a conversation with this <laughs> guy because <laughs> Clint is just not having it. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> I do, yeah, and then there's a the, the latest scene with the other old man, where he just like ties him up in the chair and is like dragging him <laughs> around while he's making his eggs. <laughs> uh, I think I think I, the the old characters or the aged characters in this are, are, are my favorite parts. <laughs> I could be totally just ex- misreading this, and you know, westerns are full of. Um, like what a common theme in westerns is this sort of fear of modernity where 
the tech as the technology changes um the west no longer becomes the wild west it's sort of fences start going up trains start connecting the the coasts together and that sort of thing and that's like the only scene in this movie that really touches on something like that where he because he's blaming the trains right and like it's because of the damn trains he used to be a great soldier but because of trains aka technology in the modern world as it evolves now he's reduced to a bounty killer and that's such a serious theme in a lot of westerns yeah and it is basically reduced to a joke in this movie that i Mm -hmm. wonder if there is some kind of intentional like we're not making a serious commentary uh, (laughs) on the west in this or or what i don't know i think there was one more instance where you could see the like the modernization i guess kind of creeping mm-hmm. in was the telephone pole when he was oh, like yeah, i'm gonna yeah. shoot the, i'm gonna shoot the lines of the telephone pole <clears throat> yeah um which is like you know done in like you said in a second it's mm-hmm. over um but again that that stuck out to me because those poles look so out of place yeah yeah they it, do like, yeah across that place and i was just like it's for the because yeah when yeah. uh I, when they said something about a telegram sending a right. telegram and i was like did he say telephone and my yeah. girlfriend was like, "No telegram," and then later on, when it shows the the, the poles, you know, that look like telephone yeah. poles, and they shoot it down, I was like, "Not the Instagram." <laughs> <laughs> Always a hundred years too early. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it does. It does feel weird because I mean, there are a lot of good landscape shots in this movie which it doesn't it doesn't spend too much time with them but like the music mixed with the landscapes like you know speaking of the contrast between a fistful of dollars and and this movie for a few dollars more the everything the scale of everything was bigger the you know it was in cinemascope so it's wider um but then there's a lot more landscapes whereas in the first one it's pretty. It's it's all in this one town. They're just in yeah. the few areas, and then this movie is jumping around all over the place, and you get to see a lot more horse riding in landscape. And it's and, not superficial. It's like he's racing them back to the town, you mm-hmm. know. So we yeah. see a lot of kind of forward and backward shots of like him riding down a mountain, and then them coming into frame. Um, and it's like there's a reason behind it. It's not just. You know? Yeah, it's not just like look at the beautiful West. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the vista. Yeah, and and that mm-hmm. opening, that opening scene before the credit or the opening credits start mm-hmm. rolling, where there's just the guy on the horse, and then he gets shot off, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we don't find out who that is. That you know, again, I was like, oh, it's Clint. Okay, we're dialing you, it up. There, there's dialing a, it up. You can hear, uh, you can hear him light up his cigar. You can hear a little. Oh, it's Clint that shoots him. If you go back and and just okay. listen, listen to the sound. He's oh. kind of he's whistling, and I think you can hear maybe his yeah. footsteps. But you hear the the match strike and and okay. I, the, I I didn't exactly catch this, but in the commentary he says that the the title when it comes out that it's supposed to be like his smoke. It's oh, I animated was very why it looked like that. Yeah, it doesn't, the, the yeah. animation is not so great to make that clear but but it looked like a 70s sitcom yeah like kind of bouncing across the screen and oh it's gone too far it's going to come back and right right. (laughs) 
Yeah, I did. I love the opening title sequences, but you guys know that I love I love like weird title sequences <clears throat> like that. Yeah. Um, but that's great that that is Clint Eastwood because that that actually changes my thought of of the the opening of the film because like I was saying earlier, you know, I was I was thinking a lot about how Lee Van Cleef opens the movie, mm-hmm. but it, they kind of trick you. Yeah, because it's not yeah. it's Clint Eastwood. Uh, and, you know, but they just don't like, show you him exactly, yeah. and it's such an yeah. unconventional thing to to be like, yeah, the lead is off camera right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> in the whole yeah. opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. It is crazy that like when they offered Clint Eastwood the movie for a few dollars more, Clint had not seen a fistful yeah. of dollars yet. And he was like, uh, I can't say yes to this movie until you send me a fistful of dollars because I haven't seen it. So they sent him, you know, an Italian print of the movie and he, you know, because there was no English dub. So Clint, thinking that the movie was just going to be kind of a joke, you know, got a bunch of friends together and screened the movie and everybody loved it, even though they had no idea what the dialogue was. Right. And so... He called him up and was like, "Yeah, I'll do another movie with you." Yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I know that he really enjoyed working with Leone and kind of, and um, in an interview, he said that like Sergio really wanted these films to be longer, and Clint wanted them. Like he didn't see the point of making these long, drawn out films. He just wanted it to be to the point, like character driven. And Sergio was like, "No, it's got to be like this. You know, it's a story." You know, it's yeah. not just a, a mm-hmm. snapshot. It's got to be a story. And I think that we're starting to see that. I know that, you know, famously Once Upon a Time in America is like four hours plus. Yeah. And I know that The Good and the Bad and the Ugly is close to three hours, right? It's, yeah, it's a I little think, bit longer I think, than I this. I think that the the version that you'd prob- you'll probably see is like three hours. Because I, I think there was an American yeah. cut of the film that was shorter but now I think the most widely available version is the restored Italian cut with the English dub, but they've restored scenes that were in the Italian version. So it's, I think it's like an almost exactly three hours. And I think once upon a time in the West is also, it's like two, two hours and half, two and a half hours or two hours, 45 minutes, something like that. Yeah, two hours and 45 minutes on yeah. Once Upon a Time in the West and yeah. Yeah. two hours and 58 minutes on The Good, and The Bad, and The Ugly. Right, yeah. But, um, but, I mean, this was two hours 15, I think, and it didn't... Yeah, two yeah. Two hours 15, and it didn't feel like it. But, uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, but Leone was, like you said, I think that uh, Unforgiven is dedicated to Leone and um, Don Siegel, who directed the... directed. Um, I know he directed... Dirty Harry, but I think he directed yeah. a few other Clint movies in the seventies, and that those are basically the two directors who he learned from to be a director yeah. himself. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think Unforgiven is dedicated to to Don and Sergio or something like that. You know, oh, yeah, that's awesome. In the biography, I was, I just love this one part in the book where apparently Poppy and Colombo, the producers from a fistful of dollars tried to muscle their way into for a few dollars more. And Clint told them in Italy, I just work with Leone. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. 
<laughs> I feel like that should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we should make them. Film Church That's Radio it. t-shirts. Yeah. In Italy, I only work with Leone. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to um, ask you, though, um, what did you rate this movie? Um, do you want to guess? Yeah. All right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, uh, I'm going to go four and a half again. I think that it's a trio of four and a half stars for you. You would be right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah. the only reason it wasn't a five was just because like somewhere towards the end, I was like <laughs> losing interest. And then it and then it got me again, you know, yeah. in the last fifteen to ten minutes, and um, and yeah, so it's four and a half. But I mean, this movie was amazing. It's it is yeah. weird, like they're all very different so far. The three that mm-hmm. we've watched of of Leon is Colossus of Rhodes, Fistful of Dollars, and for a few dollars more, are very different. But I love the style of this movie. Like it feels like the kind of stuff that that i would do you know like i love the i love the the playfulness of it of like yeah we're making a movie it's fun yeah you know like like i was talking about the shots earlier of them of of how many times it's cutting back and forth between lee van cleef and looking at the (laughs) looking at the bounty hunter poster um it's so playful and they're having fun making movies and you can tell and and it's fun to watch them and um yeah, and and it and it amazes me that you know just knowing the the amount of work it took to edit sequences like that, like coming from you know editing in the modern day on a computer, it's still diff. You know, it's not at, uh, it's not very difficult to to edit those scenes, but even cutting back and forth that much to put a sequence together like that, it still takes time. And yeah. to know that they <laughs> they had to do it by hand. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that, you know, the editor and maybe Leone cut this himself because I think maybe he cut the other one. I, I can't remember if I'm mixing that up or not. But, um, yeah, just to know that he was like, no, this is what I want. You're going to cut it like this. And how much yeah. time it took to cut something like that together is great. Love that. Um, I'm going to guess that you rated it four and a half no uh, i'm hot four yes okay four. <laughs> yeah. as soon as i said four and a half i was like i bet it was four Should i'm very go much lower. of a rewatch type of person i think that my like at first when i raise something my reservations are there i'm like will this stick with me you know five star films are kind of reserved for the ones that i can put on anytime you know psycho jaws um to name but two um whereas but i did really enjoy it and it's the full star is like get back to this as soon as possible Mm, like let's rewatch this you know um it's really fun and plus i know that we've got you know some big hitters coming up i don't want to like go five and then be like I some like I preferred this one, but I can't give it anything yeah. higher, you know. Um, <laughs> but it was. They can I mean, still it's be five stars, and, and I know be, and still be ranked differently. It's my own like internal battle. I like, understand. My, yeah, my, Everyone my has ratings. Are, I'm very generous with with my five stars. Oh really? This is a five star for me. 
But I've seen it. I've mm. seen it multiple times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't do half stars. Um, okay. Except if a movie, if I hate a movie, I'll give it half a star. Half a star. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the only time yeah. I use half stars. Because you can't do zero. Right. Um, I want to, it's sort of like, I want to emphasize that I really fucking hate it. Yeah. Free guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my last half star movie was Free Guy. Damn. Can I ask where you bought the Christopher Frailing book? Because I see it listed with oh me- oh gigantic. This is price a story. Dude, yeah. I got no. I got so lucky with this movie. Yeah, it's like so everywhere annoyed. you look, it's it's a hundred bucks, right? And or I a thousand. Hap- <laughs> oh really? <laughs> there's there's oh, two listings on Amazon, and one of them is twelve hundred dollars. Holy moly! Yeah. Well, maybe I could make some money off this. Now this is <laughs> there's two there's two versions. I think there's the uh. You know, there's the original print, and then there's a second edition, I think. Okay. Um, This is the original print, and I searched on Half Price Books, the Mm -hmm. website, Mm -hmm. and it was listed for $10. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And I ordered it, and it took a couple weeks, but I got it pretty quickly, and Mm -hmm. I feel like it was like, I feel like it just happened to come in, and it was like one of these post-COVID, like, new employees and they're like, well, ten bucks listed yeah. on the website, and then I bought it, and it's like they didn't have to bother like researching how much it right, was worth. Right, right. <laughs> Once you buy it at that price, they're not gonna, yeah. they're not gonna. Yeah, actually, well, actually. <laughs> it's eleven hundred dollars more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I got super lucky, and it is it's a big book. I mean, look at this thing. Like, good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> That's a big boy right there. It is. It is a a thick read, but I've been jumping around because I I haven't been able to. Because we keep getting to the next week, and I'm like, oh my god, I've got so many chapters to read. So I just like am, am like skimming through and reading the chapters yeah. that we're on. Yeah. Um, it's like a film student, Brandon. That's what I. I know. I'm giving it the I'd old like, college. I'm going to read this whole book, and then I was like, okay, <laughs> let's just have a look when the film that I'm talking about is mentioned, and I'll just read those pages. Yeah. <laughs> But it is good. There's some. There's a lot of like little gems in there, and it goes into a lot of detail. I mean, that's it, awesome. it, it's going into like films that uh, Leone was watching and influenced by, and stuff. That's and so it's, cool. It's, it's it's so many things that I'm like, I don't know any of like what is this yeah. stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, so from the commentary, you can tell that uh, Sir Christopher Frailing is. A Leone obsessive, like it. Yeah. Uh, as as much as I was sort of like, and I, I think I listened to all these commentaries once or twice back when I was a teenager because I used to like put a commentary on like fall asleep. Um, because some of the things I was like, oh, I, I think I've heard like the beginning of this before. Um, I almost feel like you have to like listen to all of his commentaries as like you can't just watch the, the the one movie like yeah. to get the full picture it's like did this guy record all of these in one week you know like and, maybe and because like he did story. he did the yeah because he did the commentary yeah. on colossus of Rhodes as well he did yeah on the yeah. blu-ray that i've yeah. got yeah mm-hmm. um but i don't think i have a commentary like i have i have this copy of for a fistful of dollars on dvd that looks like you're for a few dollars more cover yeah, see, it's kind of similar. Oh, that's Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. yeah. So it is the same cover, but I, 
Oh, you have two copies of Fistful of Dollars? Oh, no, it's a slipcase. Oh, I see. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, but then <laughs> my... It that much. Yeah. <laughs> my copy of For a Few Dollars More looks like this. Okay. What's the other... Is that another film in there, or is that just the... No, it's just the one. Okay. It just has, like, a... Yeah, it's just a weird cover <laughs> where there's, like, two different pictures on it. But... And then my copy of Good, Bad, and the Ugly, I don't know where it is. I let someone borrow it. But it's different as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's uh, at my parents' house. I couldn't find it here. I don't own any of these films apart from Colossus of Rhodes. So <laughs> the best of the best. That's well, I think right. Kino <laughs> Lorber has put out the, the the westerns, like the Dollar Trilogy. I think Kino I didn't has know put that. out. Yeah. I'm gonna have to have a look because I do have the Eureka Masters of Cinema of Duck You Sucker. Um, okay. So that's the one, the other one, uh-huh. you know, that I've got. Um, but yeah, it's it's odd. Normally, normally I would own it <laughs> if we're going to talk about it. So I see it as a yeah. reason. But yeah, I've just rented them. Yikes! Well, so. uh, one thing that I learned, I, uh, one detail that I did learn from the commentary on this that I thought was enlightening, at least as far as Leone's directing style, is that he does not storyboard. That he wow. never storyboarded. Oh, wow. And his films do kind of look to me like they would be storyboarded films. Yeah, yeah. There's, for sure. There's so much sort of like precision in all of the yeah. blocking of every shot to the point where I could see that this is something you drew out before. But the way he talks about it is that Leone just, from the from the stages of, the first stages of writing to then pitching it, explaining to the producer what the movie is going to be. And then explaining to the production designer of what he needs that production designer to do and explaining to the cinematographer of what he wants. He just knew what these movies looked like in his head. So there was a storyboard in his head, but he never had to draw them out. Um, So he had a very, very clear idea, which is also probably why someone like Clint Eastwood and other people liked working with him, that he knew what he was, he knew what he needed to get every day on set, you know? It reminds me of that scene in The Souvenir. Yeah. Reminds me of the scene in The Souvenir Part 2 where she's trying to get across the scene that she wants to wants to film and the the cast the crew are kind of starting to get annoyed with her because they just they're not sure they don't what get her it. vision is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe. Yeah, because it's like how true to how how like without storyboarding, <laughs> how how do you keep track of like, okay, I'm gonna get it get this extreme close-up of just your eyes, just your two eyes yeah. in the shot. And then I need this shot of this person standing there and looking to their left with just their right. eyes. And then I need this shot of this person's feet. And then I need the, sh- the shot of the hat, <laughs> like going up and then up again and then up yeah. again and then up again. And like, and, and it's I a mean, lot. And it's, it's a lot of shots. Because, it, because from the sound of it, he wasn't winging it either, you know? He just yeah. knew in his head what he wanted. Makes it and it makes a, it so much more impressive. Was apparently yeah. very good at communicating what to his crew, you know, what wow. he wanted. Yeah, which is amazing because he, I mean, uh, he apparently he spoke a little bit better English by this time mm-hmm. that they're shooting this, but it's only a year after a fistful mm-hmm. of dollars, you know, and it's like, um, 
I was reading in the book, I think it was Lee Van Cleef that was talking about how there was like in one scene there would be like five different languages going on at once. Right, because all the people trying to communicate like what's going on. I got to imagine they. I mean, a lot of this movie is filmed in Spain, so I got to imagine that some of the crew were Spain Spanish Spanish people, and um, Mm -hmm. the cast is international, and these are actors usually would just speak their own languages and get dubbed in. uh, Yeah. Once the movie was done, they didn't film it with sound. So, yeah. Wow. Incredible. Yeah, what a movie. So, what is what are we ranking? We've got an official film church ranking of Sergio Leone films <laughs> that we're we're ranking it as we go. So, um, I'm pretty sure I know yeah. where this ranks so far. I mean, so far we've watched Colossus of Rhodes, Fistful of Dollars. Fistful of Dollars is above Colossus of Rhodes. I'm pretty sure this one's going up at the top at the moment. Number one with a bullet, yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I um, haven't I haven't seen Colossus of Rhodes, but I definitely like this more than the uh, fistful yeah. and then a fistful of dollars. So I think yeah. Brandon and I were both very surprised about how much we enjoyed Colossus of Rhodes. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, but ridiculous in the best way. Yeah, you know, in a proper yeah. rainy Sunday afternoon sword and sandal kind of well and like we said on the spot the podcast i think it it has such a low rating on on all the ratings sites that because people are comparing it with sergio leone movies where it's like you really should be comparing (laughs) it with other sword and sandal movies right they're 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 watching it after the good the bad and the ugly (laughs) exactly well that was shit yeah yeah. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll be very, very curious to see where the rankings go once you get to, like, Once the Upon end. a Time in the West, even. Yeah. Um, I yeah. haven't seen Once Upon a Time in America, but it obviously, those last, I mean, those three movies, uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Once Upon a Time in the West, and um, Once Upon a Time in America, all very highly regard. I mean, the two I've seen are, I love, but all of those any of those movies on a on someone's top five of all time, yeah, you you know it doesn't shake you. So I'd be I'll be very curious to see where your guys' rankings go from there, and where yeah. Duck You Sucker is. I mean, I, I remember I haven't seen that one in years. I remember enjoying it. It's not I I don't remember it being the best, but uh, yeah, it is a change of pace because it's uh, um. Who's the guy from uh, from In the Heat of the Night? The white cop. Seeger? Oh. Something. Seeger. Oh, yeah. Uh, Robert? Is it Robert? Maybe. <laughs> I have hard. Him and, uh, and James else? Coburn. And, and um, yeah. like, it, it's about the Mexican Revolution. You know, it's, it's oh, wow. very, very different from like story-wise from these other movies um rod steiger that's it Uh, and rod steiger plays a mexican in true uh western form of uh (laughs) brown face yeah but like uh it's one of the like uh lower sort of right it's not as highly regarded as these other films so yeah yeah, um, I'll probably revisit it as I as I watch as I listen to the the rest of you guys' show. So, 
Sweet. Well, thanks for joining us, dude. Thanks for having yeah, me. I, it's, it's I always great. love, yeah, just having a chance to talk to you guys together, you know, putting an hour aside to just jump on a FaceTime and talk about a film. It's it's wonderful. Um, wish we could do it all the time. <laughs> so thank well, you I for guess being we part of it. We could do it more often. <laughs> we could, definitely. Maybe that's a hint. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you, Zach. I just, I love hearing your thoughts about any film so thanks i I, likewise carved out the time letterbox rankings only tell you so much or letterbox that's right that's right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um i feel like that brings us to the end of the show um you can find us on twitter and instagram at film church radio and you can follow us individually on letterboxd Brandon is at Selman Scope and I'm at Walker Lewis 3007. You can keep a wall been watching there. Um, there'll be more films than we have time to talk about on the pod that we've watched and reviewed. So go and give us a follow and what and see what we've been watching. Um, like we said, just leave us a rating review. Let us know what you like. Um, let us know if you're enjoying the Leone series because I certainly am. I love being able to watch these films and get to know a true master. Um, but Brandon, all that's left to say is any trouble, boy? No, old man. I thought I was having trouble with my adding. It's all right now. <laughs> nice. What a Clint. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's Clint McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Amen. 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 thanks everybody have a good night and have a good day good week see you next sunday Bye. bye bye